1: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, we'll mark President Biden's first full year in office and see if he can rebound from a week of setbacks. 2022 is not exactly off to a good start for the Biden administration. One news organization characterized last week as filled with miscues, missteps, and miscalculations. Inflation continues at a 40-year high. The Supreme Court blocked Mr. Biden's vaccine mandate for businesses and his attempt at pushing fellow Democrats, Senators Manchin and Sinema, to support rules changes to pass a voting rights bill is all but certain to fail. And while I continue to support
2: these bills, I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. The president
1: even concedes his effort is likely doomed.
3: The honest-to-God answer is, I don't know whether we can get this done.
1: Given the enormous challenges facing Mr. Biden, is the fight a good use of precious political capital? We'll ask Virginia Democratic Senator Tim Kaine. Plus, a CBS News poll out this morning shows many Americans think Mr. Biden has misplaced priorities and where they think he should focus. Then... As the threat of a Russian invasion into Ukraine intensifies, we'll talk with White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. And as Omicron's bullseye moves west, cases in the Northeast are peaking, but healthcare systems are still in crisis mode and the warnings are getting more dire.
4: Omicron, with its extraordinary, uh, uh, unprecedented degree of efficiency of transmissibility, will ultimately find just about everybody.
1: Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas, and former FTA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb will all be here. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Thursday will mark the first full year since President Biden took office. And a new CBS News poll shows Americans think he's not focused enough on key issues like the economy and inflation. 44% of Americans approve of the job he's doing overall, with a split on his handling of the coronavirus. When it comes to Mr. Biden's efforts on the economy, just over a third, 38%, approve. His handling of inflation is worse. 7 in 10 Americans disapprove. We turn now to CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto. Good morning to you, Anthony. Uh, What is weighing on the president's approval rating the most?
5: Good morning, Margaret. Let's start with COVID. Now, part of this is just expectations. At the start of his term, people thought COVID would get better. But right now, most people don't think the effort against the pandemic is going well. Part of a president's ratings always carry some of that general feeling. You look back at the start of his term, he got very strong approval ratings for handling the pandemic. That carried into the summer at two thirds approval, started to dip a little bit as cases got a little bit worse, some vaccine controversies down to where it is now. Now, let's be clear. It's not that people blame a president for all of this. When you look at why people might think he's not doing a good job, the thing that stands out is information. People feel it's been confusing. That stands out. In fact, overall, people in the nation say that that guidance has been increasingly confusing and that does accrue to a president. We know that the science is always trying to get a hold on this. But in the public mind, they do look for that clarity, Margaret.
1: Well, when it comes to the issues that we say matter here, it, the economy and inflation, what exactly is hurting the president?
5: Yeah, the economy story, the inflation story are stories about Focus. And here's how. You start with a majority of people saying that the administration not focused enough on the economy, on inflation, and these are their most important issues. Sometimes politics is really simple. You've got to be seen attacking the problems that people think are paramount. Now, when you look at how that plays out in his ratings on the economy, Well, what's the blame for it? It's a mixture of things again. Some of it, yes, people blame his policies. There's also the pandemic. There's supply chain issues that people see in the mix. But when they don't think he's focused, they're more likely to disapprove overall. And then that goes to a broader sense of emotions about his first year. We see a lot of folks describing that as making them feel frustrated or disappointed. He's got to be seen looking at those problems that people think are paramount, and that is inflation, Margaret.
1: So this is the lowest point in his presidency when it comes to approval of how he's handling COVID, not approval of the economy and how he's handling inflation. Do people just think he's wasting his time here?
5: Well, let's take a look, because we asked people— Well, if you don't approve of the president, what might change your mind? And what really stood out is, if he gets inflation down, people say they might improve their opinion. And that's a lot higher, I should add, than if he passes the Build Back Better Act. It's really about inflation, not legislation at this point. In fact, even for Democrats, even within his own party, when they rate him on the issues, they're toughest on him about being focused on inflation,
1: Margaret the things that people actually experience. I know, Anthony, you've been tracking this for some time. It was back in the summer with the withdrawal from Afghanistan that we saw the president's approval rating really begin to decline. Uh, Has there been any recovery along the way? Is that still an overhang?
5: That's correct. He started out strong. When it declined in the summer, right around Afghanistan, Other characteristics of him took a hit, too. He got declines in ratings on effectiveness, on competence that have not recovered. Those things have continued to be lower. And as it's gone down, that's been correlated with these views that he's not paying enough attention to inflation and to the economy. Now, when you look at this in context, presidents in their first year... He is a little higher than Trump was, lower than Obama was. But you want to look at the era because of late, the last 10, 20 years or so, we've seen more polarization. We've seen more, more partisanship. That tends to put both a ceiling and a floor on presidents because the other party won't give them any credit and their own party tends to bolster their approval. But I would add this about Joe Biden. He still gets positive marks for people liking him personally. That's something that's carried through even since the presidential campaign. That helps underpin him as well. It's just about whether he's seen focusing on things like the economy and inflation right now, Margaret.
1: Anthony Salvanto, thank you so much for your perspective. We go now to Senator Tim Kaine. He joins us from Richmond. Good morning to you, Senator.
4: Good morning, Margaret.
1: So you just heard that CBS poll, which uh, shows 65 percent of the country doesn't think the president is focused enough on inflation, which is at a 40-year high of 7 percent. Why do you think the White House appears so out of touch with the public?
4: Well, look, I think it's a tough time right now. And, Margaret, as you know, the White House has focused significant energy on the economy in the first year, record job growth in the first year of a White House, Um, 3.9% unemployment rate and very strong growth in wages. But the inflation issue is real. We've got to tackle it. Some of the inflation is, is related to the continuing pandemic, which has disrupted supply chains. But President Biden and Congress are also working on initiatives in the Build Back Better legislation that will reduce costs, healthcare, prescription drugs, education. People hear the title of the bill and they don't know what it might do for them, but if we can get it passed, some of it deals with cost drivers that that bedevil most families and we can show them that we're paying attention.
1: Even the White House economist is using the past tense when referring to build back better. It's dead. You don't have the votes in the Senate.
4: Yeah, I I don't agree with you, Margaret. You're right that it's dead. The, The most recent version of it is not going to happen, but if you look at the core of the bill, I think the core is education and workforce, um, and things like reduced childcare and education expenses, workforce training, and then support for the workforce in areas like healthcare. There are other pieces of the bill that are more controversial. I still believe we're going to find a core of this bill, whatever we call it, we're going to find a core of the bill and pass it, and it will deal directly with some of these inflation concerns.
1: Democratic strategist James Carville was on another network this morning, and he said Democrats whine too much. He said, you're not talking, <laughs> he said, you're not talking enough about the infrastructure bill you just passed. You're talking about things that have right. failed. And you have a vote scheduled this week that will also fail on voting rights. Why do you think that is an effective strategy to have high profile failures rather than talk about the things that people are saying do matter to them on the economy and inflation?
4: Well, Margaret, I, I do think we we are talking a lot about the infrastructure bill. Certainly, I am in Virginia, and whether it's broadband, road, rail, bridges, ports, airports, electricity grid, it's going to mean a lot of good for every zip code in the country. Uh, with respect to voting rights, look, it, it, whatever the the pundits say, you know, makes political sense. It is it is such an existential issue. Those of us who who survived the attack on the Capitol. January 6th, and are witnessing wholesale efforts around the country to make it harder for people to vote and to undermine the integrity of elections. We have to do this. We all have to be recorded at this moment in time about where are we in protecting the right to vote. Um, Right now, it doesn't look like it has the votes to pass. But we're going to cancel our Martin Luther King Day recess and be there this week because we think it's so important for the country. And we will be voting both on the bills, but also on. If we can't get Republican support for the bills, we have uniform Democratic support. Could we find a path to make some rules adjustments to pass them?
1: But you don't have the votes to suspend that 60 vote threshold. So what what kind of mechanism are you envisioning here that's somehow going to get this through?
4: As of right now, Margaret, we don't have all 50 Democrats on board with rules changes. But there are a couple of different paths. Some involve rules changes like a carve out to the filibuster, but there's other paths that we could take where we just, the 60 vote threshold is only if you want to limit debate. We could do longer debate and then end the debate and have a simple majority, but we will have a vote on the bills and we will have a vote on a rules path to get there because it's so important for the country.
1: The president, as you know, gave this very high profile speech uh, this week, in, this past week in Georgia. He's called The local law there, Jim Crow 2.0, in that speech that he gave, he, he compared his opponents to Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis, which Republican leader Mitch McConnell said was akin to saying, agree with me or you are a bigot. How does characterizing opponents like that actually win over any kind of Republican support? Isn't the president hobbling himself?
4: You know, Margaret, I read those comments differently. Joe Biden was tough in his words, but I think what he said is in the 1960s, say the Voting Rights Act in 1965, people, including people of goodwill, had to decide were they going to stand on the side of Bull Connor or stand on the side of John Lewis. It was the same point that Martin Luther King made in his famous letter to the Birmingham jail. He said, I'm writing to people of goodwill. You may not be bigots and you may not be pro-discrimination. But this is a moment in time where you have to decide which side you're going to stand with. Um, In these efforts to hobble minority uh, votes and and put up stunts and schemes in people's way, all people of goodwill have to decide where they're going to stand.
1: So you disagree with Senator Dick Durbin, who said the president may have gone too far there. I mean, is there any outreach to Republicans here who have Some have signaled some willingness on the Electoral Count Act or uh, other measures.
4: Margaret, I've been engaged in outreach to Republicans on voting rights since July and have found zero support. With the exception of Senator Lisa Murkowski, who is a co-sponsor of the John Lewis bill, Mm -hmm. uh, we can get no co-sponsors despite repeated efforts. When we put the bill up on the floor to proceed to it, they vote against even debating the bill, knowing that they could block its passage. They don't even want to talk about it. So I thank Senator Murkowski for being a supporter of restoring the uh, pre-clearance provisions in the John Lewis bill. But thus far, she's been the only one who has been willing to put her name to uh, support for any of these provisions.
1: Yeah. Uh, you were with us back in November when a Republican won the governorship in, in your home state. You blame that Democratic loss on congressional Democrats who you said just blew the timing of infrastructure, workforce, and education. Congressional Democrats have majorities in both houses and the American public expects us to deliver. Clock is ticking here ahead of those midterm races. What do Democrats need to deliver on in order to hold on to any kind of majority?
4: Um, You're right, Margaret. I think we could have won that race had we done infrastructure a month earlier. Now we have delivered on the far-reaching American Rescue Plan. We have delivered on a -a once-in-a-generation infrastructure investment, although a month too late. Um, I think we have to go into that Build Back Better bill and do the core provisions that reduce costs for Americans in these key areas. If we do that, we'll speak to their inflation concern. We'll help people out in every zip code in this country. I think we've got to do that. And it is my hope Mm -hmm. that we will find a path, although the Vegas odds may not be great, We need to find a path to protect democracy from an assault that is being led by President Trump and his followers all over this country.
1: Senator, thank you for your time this morning. Absolutely. Face the Nation will be back in one minute with National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan.
6: At Amica
0: Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories the early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amika Home Insurance. Amika. Empathy is our best policy.
2: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: We go now to White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. Good morning to you, Jake. I want to start by asking you about what happened overnight in texas with this uh, synagogue and the hostage situation there i know a british man who took the hostages is now dead the others were released Um, any indication that this is part of any kind of broader extremist threat
7: Well, Margaret, it's too soon to tell at this point what the full parameters of this act of terrorism, this act of anti-Semitism, were. Uh, We have the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, uh, and law enforcement and intelligence agencies working intensively to get a full picture of what this person's motives were and whether or not there are any further connections. So I will leave it to the professionals to continue the work today, and as we have more information, we will share it. But I do think we should all take a moment today to pay tribute to the local, uh, state, and federal law enforcement officers who acted bravely, professionally, and effectively to rescue those hostages uh, and bring the situation uh, to a safe conclusion. They are heroes, uh, and they deserve our support. And we then all should also raise our vigilance against acts of terrorism, acts of anti-Semitism, particularly at synagogues and places of worship in this country.
1: NOTED. Thank you, Jake. Um, I want to ask you about what I believe is eating up a lot of your time right now. And this is this active threat from Russia. Um, Microsoft last night said they discovered all sorts of highly destructive malware in computer networks in Ukraine. Ukraine was hit by a cyber attack earlier in the week as well. Is Russia using this to prepare the battlefield and will a cyber strike draw U.S. sanctions?
7: We've been warning uh, for weeks and months, both publicly and privately, that cyber attacks could be part of a broad-based Russian effort to escalate in Ukraine. We've been working closely with the Ukrainians to harden their defenses, and we will continue to do so in the days ahead. We're also coordinating with the private sector, companies like Microsoft, both in Ukraine and here in the United States, in case uh, there are potential cyber attacks that unfold in the coming months here. Uh, Of course, it's possible that Russia could could conduct a series of cyber attacks. Um, That's part of their playbook. They've done it in the past in other contexts. We have not specifically attributed this attack yet. Uh, Neither we nor uh, some of the key private sector firms have attributed it, but we're working hard on attribution and we will do everything we can uh, to defend and protect networks uh, against the type of destructive malware that Microsoft flagged in their blog post last night.
1: Well, the Ukrainians are saying it looks like it has some Russian fingerprints on it. Why wouldn't this draw U.S. sanctions? Why are you waiting for Vladimir Putin to go further and actually cross the border? Aren't we already in the middle of a conflict?
7: Well, first, Margaret, as I said before, we need to work through attribution. And again, as I said, this is part of the Russian playbook. So it would not surprise me one bit if it ends up being attributed to Russia, but let's do first things first. Let's get attribution Mm -hmm. and then make a determination about uh, what we do next. In terms of sanctions, what we have laid out uh, is a very clear message to the Russians. And we've done so in concert and unison with our allies that if they do further invade Ukraine, there will be severe economic consequences uh, and a price to pay. And yes, of course, uh, if it turns out that uh, Russia is pummeling uh, Ukraine with cyber attacks, and if that continues over the period ahead, uh, we will work with our allies on the appropriate response.
1: Russia has been moving tanks. They've been moving military equipment. Their top diplomat said Friday their patience is running out. Diplomacy is not working. Um, are, are you planning to get President Putin, President Biden, and President Zelensky of Ukraine all on the phone together like the Ukrainians are asking?
7: Well, we're in close touch with our allies and partners, including the Ukrainians. I speak to my counterpart in Ukraine, the National Security Advisor, regularly. We've spoke seven times just in the past month. So we're coordinating closely on next steps, and we'll have more to share in terms of the next steps into the diplomacy early next week. But the key point here, Margaret, is Mm -hmm. that we're ready either way. If Russia wants to move forward with diplomacy, we are absolutely ready to do that in lockstep with our allies and partners. If Russia wants to go down the path of invasion and escalation, we're ready for that too with a robust response that will cut at their strategic position. So from our perspective, uh, we are pursuing simultaneously deterrence and diplomacy, and we've been clear and steadfast in that, uh, again, fully united with the transatlantic community.
1: Russia's been pretty clear in just charging ahead with this. Um, Mike Morrell, who I know you know, uh, the former acting director of the CIA, said this comes down to a matter of American credibility, which will be lost if Vladimir Putin defies President Biden when, when the White House has set out these clear lines. Uh, that's what is what is at stake here, Jake. I mean, we've been talking about the president's approval ratings being on the decline since that chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan this is a risk, not just to foreign policy, but to the president's ability to uh, set bright lines for adversaries.
7: Look, I'll leave the political analysis to you and others. Here's what I'm focused on. Will the United States and NATO and our allies emerge from this, whatever happens? in a stronger strategic position, and will Russia emerge in a weaker strategic position? That's the test, and that test doesn't get passed tomorrow or the next day or the day after. That test gets passed over weeks and months and years. And if Russia does move, we will take measures uh, that go at their economy, that go at uh, their strategic position in Europe, that strengthen the solidarity of NATO. And what we just saw this past week in Brussels at the NATO headquarters was 30 allies speaking as one after years under the previous administration where NATO was fractured uh, and beginning to, to lose focus. Mm-hmm. So we actually believe that we have made strides in shoring up and strengthening our alliances yeah. and in putting the United States in a position, whatever happens here, uh, to uh, defend our interests, defend our friends, and support the Ukrainian people as we have been doing.
1: Jake, quickly, on Iran, uh, Secretary of State says we are very, very, very short on time. Iran's getting very close here to the ability to produce a weapon. Aren't they just playing for time?
7: Well, I would say two things on this front. Number one, uh, our policy is straightforward. We are determined to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Number two, we believe that diplomacy is the best way to do that. as you said, and as the Secretary of State has said, a time is running short. And I was in Israel at the end of last month yeah. uh, coordinating um, on the possibility uh, that diplomacy does not proceed. Yeah. We are working closely with our European allies and partners okay. on this as well. And we will find a way forward. But Margaret, okay. critical point here. Jake the reason we're in the situation we're in right now is because the previous administration pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal and we are paying the wages of that catastrophic mistake.
1: Understood. Jake Sullivan, thank you. Stay with us.
8: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome back to Face the Nation. We turn now to COVID-19 where the number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths are still rising. On the economic front, inflation is also climbing. Here's Mark Strassman.
3: Confirming America's case of Omicron jitters has no test and needs none. We're undeniably anxious. This is not a game, it's for real. And with good reason.
1: We are in the midst of another COVID-19 tsunami.
3: Omicron has exploded COVID nationally like never before, with new cases rising in 46 states. America's averaging more than 750,000 new cases a day, a record. More than 20,000 daily hospitalizations, up 25%, and almost 2,000 daily deaths, up 37%. Here in Boston, new cases have almost doubled in Massachusetts over the last two weeks. Hospitalizations have almost doubled. And Omicron's siege goes on. Local health experts expect those numbers to keep soaring for the rest of January. In short supply, hospital staff, hospital beds. Pennsylvania is one of 49 states where service members reinforce the front lines of the COVID response. Also scarce, home tests. Starting Wednesday at COVIDTests.gov, you can register with the federal government for free rapid tests. A limit of four per household. But America's supply chain issues include high-quality masks in high demand. I feel safer in these than I do around people with the regular masks. She should. After months of dithering by the CDC, the agency now concedes that masks like N95s, KN95s and surgical ones protect better Than cloth
4: masks. CDC continues to recommend that any mask is better than no mask. But while
3: COVID's endless dynamics have fractured America, everyone agrees the economy needs help. A seven percent rate of inflation, the highest in nearly forty years, from gas to groceries. Prices are off the charts, off the charts for a middle class family to eat.
0: As you can see, shelter empty.
3: And continuing supply chain issues, pharmacies really should have aspirin.
0: There's
8: only three bottles on the shelf, and thank goodness I could get one bottle.
3: If there's good news, it's this. In certain cities like New York and Washington, D.C., the early hotspots, Omicron's breathtaking spread seems to be flattening.
1: Our Mark Strassman reporting from Boston. We go now to Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who joins us from Annapolis. Good morning to you, Governor. Good morning. of hospital beds are occupied in your state. Omicron is really hitting hard. Uh, There are comparisons right now to where we were in 2020. Have you seen a real change in the ability of the federal government to respond to states like yours?
9: Well, so we have been impacted really hard over the past couple of weeks, and we've reached a higher point than we ever did during the rest of the nearly two years of this crisis. We've got a little bit of positive news in, in, in that it's not quite a trend, but over the past four or five days, we've seen fairly dramatic decreases in both hospitalizations positivity rate and case rate and so it's hopeful and we're we're going to keep an eye on that over the next 10 days to see if we continue Uh, we but we're still in a pretty tough spot and that's why i declared a state of emergency we we did a lot of things to try to help increase the capacity of our hospital system sent in thousand members of the national guard and you know uh, we're taking a lot of actions directly uh, and we're we're trying to get as much help as we can from the federal government but uh, you know quite frankly they're falling short in a couple of ways
1: How? What do you need?
9: Well, we've been pushing uh, for quite some time. You know, the the president announced uh, uh, nearly a month ago, before Christmas, that he was going to distribute these half a billion uh, 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 rapid tests out across the country. And so far, we haven't seen any. We were acquiring our own. You know, the states have been on the front lines throughout this crisis. Uh, And now it appears as if, rather than producing more of these rapid tests, the federal government is just purchasing the ones that we had already contracted for. Uh, You know, so now we're sort of hijacking the tests that we already had plans for, and we're now getting uh, some of those providers to tell us they no longer have the masks, the uh, the rapid tests Mm -hmm. on masks. You know, I I announced uh, last week that we were were delivering free of charge 20 million uh, N95 and KN95 masks across the state, and I think the federal government is following behind trying to do the same thing in other places.
1: Right. The president is expected to announce something in detail this week on that front. Um, uh, And and I I I understand the CDC just changed their guidance or adapted their guidance on Friday regarding masks, but other states were out there, like Connecticut, distributing N95s earlier. Why did you wait until this point?
9: Well, we've been distributing them throughout the crisis, uh, I mean, from the beginning, but the 20 million is a pretty huge uh, number. So we've, we've had unlimited masks for the schools for, you know, a, a more than a year already. We, we've got them out at health departments and hospitals, but now we're, we're having an even bigger reach because we realize that these masks are much more protective and that we've got a much more contagious uh, variant that's spreading not only across our state, but across the country.
1: Yeah in nearby west virginia their governor also republican jim justice um, has asked the cdc to authorize a fourth booster for the most vulnerable in his state are you going to do the same are you interested in that
9: well uh five or six months ago we did move forward on the third booster ahead of the federal government because we uh we had done our own uh antibody study in our nursing homes which uh, were some of our most vulnerable patients that we were very concerned about The uh, the CDC, uh, you know, was taking their time, and so we, we're now doing another, uh, it's very similar antibody uh, study in our nursing homes to see if we should move forward with a fourth dose at least for our most vulnerable patients that are at risk.
1: So you're working on that. Uh, When it comes to yes, what's happening in schools right now, and and I, I understand that this is district by district, and the decisions are different, but. Prince George's County, as you know, a district uh, of Columbia suburb, went virtual right around Christmas. They're going back to school in person this coming week. You oppose that. You wanted kids in person. Well, I, but I don't oppose in, them
9: going back to school no, this week. But
1: you oppose them going virtual. And in <laughs> yeah. other other parts of the state yeah. where they yeah. did go back in person, you had some lower attendance rates because people were sick. So Why not allow for uh... a little bit of flexibility there? Is there a time when virtual remote school actually is the best choice?
9: Well, there is flexibility with local school systems, but what we ought to do, and what, what the state policy actually is, if there's an outbreak in a particular classroom or a particular school, then they have certain protocols that they, you know, they should take. But shutting down entire uh, school systems to uh, punish a million kids, look, we, have, we currently have 34 well, people in the up. hospital, 30 of them are children. Thirty of them are children, and half of them are in for another reason in the hospital. We're now filling our pediatric empty pediatric beds with adults because children have not been that big of a problem. Our school systems have not been overrun, and you know we started vaccinating teachers more than a year ago uh, as a priority. That was what they asked for. We provided the masks. We provided hundreds of millions of dollars for filtration systems to try to keep our kids safe. And um, you know I understand people being concerned about kids. We all are. Yeah. Uh, We missed a year of learning in some cases, and it's absolutely not the way to go to keep the entire school system shut down.
1: Understood. But remote is somewhere in between. But I want to ask you about some politics here, because, as you know, there's been a lot of talk among some high level Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, who's trying to recruit you to run for Senate. You said you don't have a burning desire to serve in the Senate. You got a February 22nd filing deadline. If you don't want to tell me you're running or not today, can you at least tell me if a Republican can win a statewide federal election in Maryland?
9: Well, most Republicans couldn't, uh, but uh, both the Washington Post and the Senate leadership did two polls showing me beating Chris Van Hollen by 12 points. So I think it is possible. It's the same 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 number that I was reelected by in 2018 against Ben Jealous as governor. But um, look, I, I, what I said, I've been saying all along. It's not something I aspire to, but I also have said that I, I, I care very uh, much about the the country and where we are and and the divisive uh rhetoric the the divisiveness and dysfunction in washington and so you know people are calling on my kind of more patriotic duty to say even if it's not the job that you want uh maybe we need you to run anyway and so that, that that's where we are i've never expressed an interest in it and, and, and still haven't taken any steps in that direction
1: february 22nd are you going to run are you going to file
9: Uh, February 22nd is like a month away. And right now we're just focused on the day job as governor and focused on this Omicron crisis and uh, our our legislative session. That's where my focus is going to stay.
1: Okay. Well, we will stay on top of you and then we'll start asking if you're going to run in 2024, which you've been asked and said you won't comment on either. We go now to the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, Quentin Lucas. He joins us from our CBS affiliate KCTV. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. Omicron is surging hospitalizations in your city up 25% in the last week. Are hospitals having to postpone surgeries? Are they at risk of being overwhelmed?
10: They are overwhelmed right now in Kansas City. Really, since the Christmas season, we have seen incredible challenges in our health care network, even getting employees that are working in our EMS Services Fire Department and in public safety. It is a substantial concern. It's why we have brought back a number of different requirements, including a mask requirement in our schools, to a great level of controversy to make sure that government can continue to function, schools can stay open, our hospitals can stay open, and we're doing all we can from a local government level to respond to our challenge.
1: You've said you'd consider a citywide mask mandate if deaths and hospitalizations reached a certain point. Do you have a threshold there? What's holding you back?
10: Right now what's holding us back is in some ways the political challenge that we receive from the state of Missouri. There have been numerous lawsuits filed by the Attorney General of Missouri who is running for United States Senate, a Republican who has sought mask mandates and and called them things that are challenges to freedom. He's called them challenges and tyranny, those sorts of things that we face every time we issue a new mask requirement. The Missouri State Treasurer has gotten into the act. But what we're really trying to focus on is more vaccination. What we're seeing is even though Omicron is spreading, 80 to 90% of people that are in our ICUs are those that have not been vaccinated. We're facing challenges because there is a substantial amount of misinformation out in the public about if vaccination is important, if it's good, if it's free, what it does to you. So we're really fighting, uh, I think, a battle on two different fronts. One is from my political right and those that are trying to say that this just isn't that big of a deal, and then always trying to fight the information side to make sure that we get people vaccinated and safe.
1: But to that point, we have new CBS polling out today that really faults the administration itself for confusing messaging around COVID. Uh, The president's approval rating for his handling is at the lowest point. Um, Two thirds of those polled cited confusion about COVID information and guidance. Is the federal government response here too confusing? Is it too slow?
10: You know, I think that those polls reflect a moment of frustration in America, certainly frustration in Kansas City. Time and again, and everybody in America knows this, every few months we thought that this would be over. I think what we recognize is now that COVID will be with us for some time, that we may continue to see new variants. Uh, But I do think that there is a role, not just for the federal government, but for state governments to actually be helpful, right? We have seen in a number of different states, mine included at times, where there has not been the level of assistance when we're looking for that intermediate step. Who can actually deliver that testing to us in the cities? Small towns as well. Who can actually make sure that schools can stay open? I don't think that those are federal concerns and those aren't at the feet of the press. I think much of that is, how can our entire government system, from local government up to the federal side, make sure that we're responding in an active way? I just think the president's face is on any number of things, and so he'll continue to be blamed. But, look, what I want in Kansas City are more nurses, more hospital workers, more staff, and more tests. I don't care who they come from, whether they come from our state capitals, whether they come from federal government. I think that's what the people of America want on the ground.
1: You mentioned uh, one of the people who is uh, challenging your mandates is uh, someone running for Senate in your state. I want to ask you, I know you're running for reelection as mayor, but uh, you are rumored to also be considering a Senate run. Um, What are national Democrats missing on the ground in states like yours? Do you think a Democrat could actually win uh, a statewide federal election in Missouri?
10: I absolutely think a Democrat could win a statewide election in Missouri. I think, first of all, because what you see right now is that we're trying to respond to a crisis of the moment. We're trying to make sure we're answering COVID issues, trying to make sure that people are getting back into jobs, and talking about things that are responsible and reasonable. Not looking back over the last four years, not trying to push what I think is false information, whether it be related to COVID, whether it be related to the economy, or anything under the sun. I do think, of course, there's a communication challenge that we face, the Democratic Party is. is a very big tent, and I do certainly think that more national voices that are saying, look, Democrats are doing things that make basic sense now, trying to address supply chain issues, trying to make sure people have COVID testing, and fundamentally, making sure that we're looking out for the people of Kansas City in America. You know, a few weeks back, my family came down with COVID, and then the toughest part, I have a nine-month-old baby, was seeing him sick. I don't think that there's any American who wants to see that harm to their young children, to their babies, to their families. That's what I see a lot of mayors looking to, Democrats, moderate Republicans, and others, and that's why I think the public would be receptive to messages from folks that are on the political left.
1: You'd have to file by the end of March. Are you going to run?
10: I, I have already said that I'll be running for mayor of Kansas City again. I'm excited right. to be mayor.
1: Mr. Mayor, thank you for your time. Good luck with the surge. We'll be right back.
8: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: We wanna check in now with former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who also serves on the board of Pfizer. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning. Uh, The acting FDA commissioner, told Congress most people are going to get COVID. Dr. Fauci said most people will be exposed to it at some point. I mean, these statements make people at home go, what am I doing here? Why am I trying to protect myself? Um, At this point, what can you do?
6: Well, look, I think the reality is most people are going to get COVID in their lifetime. I don't think most people need to get COVID within the next month. And anything we can do to try to protect ourselves, to the extent that there are people who haven't been exposed to this virus yet, who have gone out and gotten vaccinated and been able to protect themselves, you know, if they can keep themselves protected for the next several weeks, we'll probably be through this Omicron wave. And then we'll have to deal with this probably next fall when we have better tools available to us. I would much rather have my reckoning with COVID after I've been vaccinated a number of times, after there's orally available drugs widely accessible to treat this infection, after there's monoclonal antibodies widely accessible to treat it, after diagnostic testing is stockpiled in my house. And those, those realities will be truth come this fall, certainly come this summer. So I think people will be in a much better position to grapple with this next fall. I think we should remain vigilant for the next several weeks, try to avoid this infection if you can.
1: So hold strong for the next few weeks. Pfizer's CEO, I know you serve on the board at the company, said a vaccine that targets Omicron could be ready in March. Does that mean everyone needs to start planning to go out and get another dose?
6: Look, I think the reality is that this is going to become an annual vaccination, at least for a period of time. We don't know what the epidemiology of this infection is going to be over the long run, but certainly over the next couple of years, you can envision boosters becoming an annual affair, at least for some portion of the population, people who are more vulnerable. It could be the case that if we have an Omicron-specific vaccine or a Delta-specific vaccine, and it's still unclear what the most prevalent strain of this infection is going to be on the back end of this Omicron wave. I think most people presume it will be Omicron. But if you can fashion a vaccine that's specific to the variant that's circulating, you probably have the potential to restore a lot of the original promise of the vaccine and by that i mean the ability to actually prevent transmission to reduce infection right now the vaccines are very effective at preventing serious disease and preventing hospitalization they are also preventing symptomatic illness but the prevention of transmission has been dramatically reduced in the setting of omicron if you could fashion a vaccine that's specific mm-hmm. to omicron you can restore the ability of the vaccine potentially to prevent transmission and it once beca- once again becomes a public health tool for Actually, controlling spread.
1: You heard Governor Hogan, a Republican, say the federal government is falling short uh, on its response right now. Our polling has showed even confusion among Democrats. I mean, this isn't necessarily a partisan issue on frustration with pandemic response. That gets laid at the foot of the president. Is that his fault? Is that the CDC falling short? Is that the FDA, where we still do not have a confirmed commissioner? Where does that blame actually lie?
6: Well, look, I think, I think it lies in a lot of places. I think a lot of the confusion emanates from CDC and the mixed guidance that they've, uh, they've issued. Look, the administration, I think, has done an admirable job with certain aspects of this response. They put a big emphasis on rolling out the vaccines. They've done a good job at that. 85% of adults have received at least one dose of the vaccine. We have to think about the counterfactual. What if we didn't have that much vaccination in this country? What situation would we be facing right now? I think the administration made some mistakes at a macro level. The first was buying into this prevailing narrative when they took office, that a lot of the problems, if not all the problems at CDC and from the federal public health agencies owed to the Trump administration and their mishandling of those agencies. Now, notwithstanding what the Trump administration did or didn't do to try to reform those agencies and interfere in their operations, the reality is those agencies had deep flaws, and it made it hard to reform the agencies once you bought into that that macro narrative. The the second um, challenge, I think, that they bought for themselves was federalizing this in ways that they didn't have to, particularly with respect to the vaccine mandates. I think once the federal government, the Biden administration, stepped in and federalized aspects of this response, they owned it and created a perception that Mm -hmm. they alone Could fix it.
1: Well, Governor Hogan said they were having a hard time at the state level getting a hold of tests. Uh, According to the White House, those will start, they'll take orders starting in January, but HHS said you might not receive those tests for weeks afterward. Um, Is the strategy here just to have Americans stockpile tests for the future? Because it's not coming in time for Omicron.
6: Well, look, I think that's what Americans ought to be doing. And, and the administration steps to try to provide tests directly to consumers and try to provide um, payment for those tests is an important step in that direction. They've also, in the last week, extended the expiration dates in the popular Buy Next Now test. And I expect they're going to extend the expiration dates on other tests so that it makes it more feasible to stockpile these tests. The reality is the tests are available. They're not cheap. But if you go to Amazon right now, you can buy 10 or more tests. I tested it before, before we got on this show this morning. So they are available. I think that they're difficult to Get for bulk purchases for purchases for municipalities and states, but consumers can get access to them. And now, with the federal government, you know, providing reimbursement, most consumers can reach into the market and buy these tests. Unfortunately, they weren't available when we had peak demand, and that was when Omicron hit up against Christmas break, when a lot of people went out, wanted access to tests, mm-hmm. and the store shelves had run out.
1: Right. Well, failure to plan around the holiday and the largest gatherings of the year, um, but bigger. Strategy, you've said there should have been an Operation Warp Speed for drug treatments, not just the vaccine. Do you think the administration is overemphasizing vaccination and not talking about things like masks and ventilation?
6: Look, I think they've talked about masks. There's only so much the federal government can do um, to try to get consumers to wear masks. This really has to be done at a state and a local level. I think the administration should have earlier revised the guidance on the quality of the mask, recognizing that higher quality masks were going to be important against variants that spread primarily through airborne transmission, like the Delta variant, like the Omicron variant. There has been an emphasis on vaccines. I think there could have been more emphasis on trying to get Capacity in place over the summer for the production of not just the orally available drugs like the one manufactured by Pfizer. Pfizer um, put up a billion dollars to advance manufacture that product, but also the monoclonal antibodies especially, um, the drugs that could be used as a prophylaxis and treatment.
1: Okay. Dr. Gottlieb, always good to talk to you. We'll be right back. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brondon. Today's guests were National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, Virginia Democratic Senator Tim Kaine, Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan, Kansas City Democratic Mayor Quentin Lucas and former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also on our digital network, CBSN, at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time every Sunday.
2: It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning, multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it?